Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today's guest, one of our favorite kettlebell people, Marcus Martinez. So Marcus, I'll turn it over to you if you want to give the listeners a little background on yourself, please. Where do I begin? Uh, there's, <laughs> I mean, what got me to be the kettlebell guys, I just, I, I fell in love with kettlebells years and years and years ago. I've been, I started a kettlebell gym. I started everything about social media. I was putting stuff on YouTube back in 2008, which I am beyond embarrassed to go back and look up, but like, I will sometimes and be like, I cannot believe I posted that, but there was nothing else out there really. Like you couldn't find stuff on social media. So I just started posting stuff, started posting workouts, created workout programs. I just saw the efficacy of this tool and that from a gym owner standpoint, it was phenomenal because I could get big groups of classes. I could do, uh, you know, I didn't have to have a lot of equipment, so it was definitely cost-effective. And then it was just fun. It was something different, something people hadn't used before. So when I first went through my workshop, I'm like, all right, this is different. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start incorporating this more. So I started using other things, but everything kind of geared towards kettlebells from, and then I started creating workshops. I created my own certification for my trainers and then continued to build it out. And then from there, teamed up with Onnit, built out the kettlebell course for them. And then now currently with Kettlebell Kings. And uh, same thing, doing the education and focusing on training trainers to utilize this tool. Because, I mean, we've all been through the gym and seen people using kettlebells that were like, oh, boy, we, we're just going to stop right there. <laughs> just take it back a couple of steps. But at the same time, I wanted to showcase. I mean, the reason I post stuff on social media is to showcase what's possible with the tool. Because I feel like it's such an underappreciated and such an underutilized tool. You know, you either have the extremes where people think they're dumb. And we'll just ignore those people. Then we have the people who are just going to use it like as a doorstop, or maybe they'll just use it as farmer walks. And then they're like, all right, I did my kettlebell work. And then you have the people who are like, all right, I only use it for these four or five movements. This is all you need if you're using a kettlebell. And then you have the other extreme where it's like, oh, I'm going to flow and light this thing on fire and dance with it. So I kind of want to show all the things that you could do with the tool. So that way I can get the most from it. I can deliver more value to my client. I can deliver more value to people who are going through my content. So it's not just the same thing all the freaking time. I get so tired of like, oh, this is all you can do with the kettlebell. This is all you should do with the kettlebell. I'm like, as soon as you tell me not to do something, that's like literally the time I'm going to do the opposite of that and then show you exactly why you want to do the same. Well, because there's different forms of kettlebell, right? Yes. As far as sport and... Yeah. Yeah. Right? And that's a whole other animal. Yeah. Kettlebell sport is, I mean, it's insane. I've only taken a couple courses... I've worked with some high-level kettlebell sport athletes like Aaron Guyette, you know, Steve Cotter, Jason Buckley, or Jason w uh, Dolby, uh, John Wild Buckley, all these guys. <laughs> I mean, they're incredible athletes. But that in itself was like, that sport is bananas. Like the amount of double snatching for 10 minutes, I'm like, you know, I barely want to walk for 10 minutes, let alone <laughs> double snatch to 28Ks or something like that. So that's a fantastically crazy sport, mad props to those uh, athletes. But then you have like the other end of the spectrum, which is like the, you know, the gym kettlebells, like the ones you would typically see the cast iron, you'd see do people doing more like hard style style of training where they're doing swings and get ups and that's about it. So I kind of like to take the, the range that is kettlebells from that hard style, high tension, high output, low efficacy. I want to try to do as few reps with as much tension as possible to the other extreme where it's, I want to do 10 minutes worth of this movement. So I have to be much more fluid. I have to be less tense because you can't have a max power lift for a hundred reps. 
So find that kind of middle ground where I can kind of tag into or tap into fluidity, tap into some high, high tension, high output, and then kind of get the best of both worlds and then just kind of explore that range in between. So people got so like black and white with this thing where it was like, this is the way you do it or this is the way you do it. And then what I realized having clients come to my gym, there were a lot of people that could give two, you know, what's about if they were able to press half their body weight or do a a get up. Mm -hmm. How could I kind of match it to my client, match it to my own workout based on where I'm at in that train session. So it's not just like, no, treating everything like a hammer or that it needs a hammer. Yeah. That kettlebell sports style is brutal, man. I, I did a workshop with uh, Valerie Fedorenko in 2007. Yeah. So I did that first. And then in 2008, I did the RKC with Pavel. So you had the two completely different styles and I was like, okay, well, both are really good. It just depends on what your ultimate goal is and what you're trying to do. And it's funny because both would tell you that their way is the absolute best and the only way to do it. And it's like... <laughs> That's not how it works for sure. People. Like most people need to have that variation, unless you're planning on, you know, tattooing a certain company's name on you, or you're planning on competing in worlds. Like if you're not going to be in either of those extremes, then you can absolutely dabble in between. Because one of the biggest benefits uh, would be just to the kettlebell is great for teaching people how to move with load. Totally, absolutely. I mean, I had older clients who I wouldn't ever think to put a barbell in their hands. Um, but I would give them a light kettlebell because we can still incorporate a lot of the same mechanics in terms of timing, in terms of full body exercises, in terms of kind of passing through multiple pa- uh, movement patterns or ranges of motion. I can do that with a kettlebell in a very, very light way because a lot of people are like, oh, you start with body weight. I'm like, well, what about my client who's 250 pounds? Like, I'm not going to have them do squats and lunges and presses, but I'll have them do two hand cleans. I'll have them do overhead presses. I'll have them do, uh, you know, racked marches. I can have them do things where we learn a lot about how to incorporate a lot of trunk tension. And that's one thing that we really, that was one of the best carryovers from kettlebells that I was able to uh, utilize with like kind of an everyday client. Lots of high tension stuff, which I loved from some of the stuff that I did through the RKC. And then just stuff that was like, okay, my clients are in pain. They don't have really great range of motion. How can we still get a great workout? Okay, let's do a lot of tension and then let's move as little range of motion as possible and just kind of increase it as we go. So that way they stay as safe as possible, but we're still utilizing some weights and not just, you know, the, the pink bells, not the pink It's typically the AK. <laughs> no offense to pink bells. Like I'm going to, I'm going to color the 40 AK, the 106 pound. I'm going to paint that pink. So that way that's like the new trend where it's, uh, you know, hundred pound well, bells, the pink bell. Oh, then you need to, you need to paint the pink one gold. <laughs> Just to really mess with people. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's kind of funny because guys, when you tell them, "Hey, grab the the pink kettlebell," they're they're like, "I don't want to use that one." Just simply off the color. It's kind of funny when they do that. You get a lot, and, actually. When I was young and stupid, I never used the light bells. I was like, "Oh, I want to go heavier. I got to do half by weight press. I got to do all this stuff." And then as I got older and not as stupid, but I would start using the 8Ks and the 12Ks uh, to juggles and flows to even just conditioning. It was like, I totally bypass the 8, 12, 16 straight for like, I got to go 24s, 28s, 32s. That helped me build strength, but it was also, there was so much I was leaving on the table. That's why for people getting into kettlebells, the question that literally pops up every single live I do is, what weight should I do? I'm like, would you ask that about a dumbbell? Like, would I be like, what dumbbells should I get? Be like, as many as you can. What do you mean? There's a, there's a time and place for each one. You can incorporate you know, multiple weights into your workout. So stop thinking if they got you know, kettlebells. They did a great job 
of marketing kettlebells as like a standalone tool. You just need this one thing. Take it to the park. Take it to the pool. Take it wherever you want. I'm like, okay, that's part of it. But you know, if you want to get the most benefit from kettlebells, you're going to want at least a few uh, different ranges and a few different weights. Yeah, this, like you said, learning the technique of how to manipulate a kettlebell in and of itself is such a huge task. Part of what uh, attracted me to it was that it was simpler than a barbell in certain ways. And not simpler, it was just more, it was barbells were out of my wheelhouse. So I felt more comfortable with kettlebells, the, the ability to do unilateral you know, work versus having to you know, coordinate a bar when most people don't have the range of motion to even squat body weight, let alone to have a bar front loaded in that wrist extended position. So I felt it much easier to get into kettlebells. I had you know, much easier to control and manipulate the weight, but there's so much technique that gets overlooked when you're watching a video. And at the time, looking at pictures where I'm looking at you know, magazines and pictures of people doing kettlebells and you see the kettlebell on the ground and then you see the kettlebell in the rack <laughs> position. You're like, all right, cool. I'll just, there's a lot missing in this. So, but even in the video, you can see it and it still doesn't make sense. You can still be like, okay, like, I love getting people who don't know anything about fitness commenting on fitness and like, oh, that's all back. I'm like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> some technique to work. Do you find there's a big intimidation factor with new clients towards kettlebells or are they pretty receptive to them? No, the only, I wouldn't even say intimidation. It was more of a curiosity where it was like, the heck is this thing? Like when I started kettlebells, you know, I had kettlebells in my gym in 2008, 2009. And at that point, CrossFit was just starting to emerge or at least starting to get popular because it was through Rootbox. So people before that were just like, you only knew them through CrossFit or that was it. So there was definitely this like, what the heck is that? Like, what do you do with this? It's a cannonball. The amount of times I heard cannonball, when I would take it to the park or something. I'm like, when have you ever even seen a cannonball? Like, you never <laughs> even, you don't even know what a cannonball really looks like. But that was the kind of the main kind of hesitation people had was like, what is this? I don't even, I don't even know what to do with this. So as soon as we broke it down and just simplified it into, all right, let's just learn the basic positions. Let's just learn getting the rack position. Let's learn the bottoms up position. Let's learn just letting the bell hang. Let's learn, let's do walks. Let's do overhead walks. Let's just get used to this new tool that's going to sit on your body a little bit differently. So it's going to feel a little bit different than a dumbbell just to start kind of dipping your toes into this. And once we did that, once I had them doing a few basic things, it was like, okay. And within weeks, it was like, oh, this is awesome. And then you get your diehard kettlebell people who are like, like I still have people who came to my gym back in 2008 who are like, they only do kettlebell workouts because that was what they did. And they just really gravitated to it. They loved the simplicity of it. They loved the fact that you could get a full body workout with a couple different weights. They dig it. So once they kind of got past that, like, what is this? Then there was, it was pretty, it was pretty easy. Uh, I know like a lot of people, there's, we got the Apollo style that's got the small body and the big handle. Yeah. A little more awkward, so to speak, but you typically see those in most gyms versus your competition style. We've got all sorts of variations, right? So on it's got their Star Wars, Marvel ones type things. So, I mean, what would you recommend for the average person that just is starting out? If it's just starting, if you don't even know you're going to like the tool, then just a basic as economically well-priced as you can get. That's just kind of like something you can find anywhere. Like I love the Kettlebell Kings. Obviously I'm biased. I work with mm -hmm. Kettlebell Kings, but I love their powder coat bells because they're the smoothest. They feel the best. They feel the most comfortable. But if you're going to, if you know you're going to like kettlebells or you know, you're like, ah, 
I, I, I know I'm going to get at least a few things from this. I recommend going to Bells with a big toggle over there where they're all the same diameter. So it's designed for competitors because they're going to sit in the same spot. So that way, if I'm training with a 12K or 28K or a 48K, it's always going to sit in the same spot. Because of that wider diameter, it just sits more comfortably on the forearm. Everybody that uses competition bells, uh, at least single bells, they always prefer that versus the other one. Because of the smaller diameter, it just feels a little bit it feels like it's heavier. It's like rubber plates versus weight, like metal plates. Like metal plates are always feel heavier, even if they're both 45 pounds for whatever yeah. reason. They just they feel like <laughs> that with the with the kettlebell. But the competition bells are my my absolute go to. They just feel better, look better. I mean, they look cool. Yeah. Well, and then your fun. technique never changes, right? As you go up yeah. through all the weights. Because if you're using an 8K, you know, powder coat, and then you go to a 24K, or you, you know, even if it's just a couple of different jumps. Going from a 16 to 24K, that's only a couple jumps, but it'll feel significantly different. And then the handle will continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So for my female clients, when they were getting really strong and they're swinging the 32Ks and the 40Ks, it was way more awkward for them than when we were doing that with competition bills. The handle position is really important. And I like the uniformity with the competition is because the handle doesn't change. So I think what's interesting is people kind of when you're trying to teach them how to hold it and showing them that angle between the thumb and the and the index finger, they're kind of like, huh? So just getting them comfortable with just sitting that in there because people are always like, that just feels weird. Yeah, or even just the bell on the forearm. That feels yeah. weird to people the first time they put it on there. And uh, with the comp bells, it just, I mean, when you're using a light belt, it's like, it's like you don't feel anything on there at all compared to the same size or the same weight in the powder coat. Would you recommend, let's say for, let's say for an older demographic or let's say someone who has a skin condition, easily bruises, would you recommend the sandbag style kettlebell or something that's less? No, only because for new people, what I would recommend to that person, I had a number of clients like that who just didn't like, even when they felt good, their technique was great. They never liked the feel of the kettlebell on the forearm. The simplest solution was just getting a wrist guard or getting a wristband and putting like an old hotel key card or something like that in there. Because then it was malleable enough that you wouldn't lose the feel of the bell, but it was support enough where you're not going to get that same feel of the metal on the skin. I don't love the sandbag, but I've tried them a couple of times. The problem with that is you give people, people get a, a false sense of security. So they're like, oh, I can do this all day. I, can, I don't even feel this thing. And they only really go up to, I mean, I've never seen them heavier than 44 pounds, which is yeah. as much as most people need. but. That was one thing in my gym. Like I wasn't the guy that was like, we're going heavier, we're going heavier. But I'm like, we're going to go heavier. So I love, like, I just found one of those uh, Facebook memories of one of my female clients doing goblet squats with a 40K. And I'm like, yes, this is, I love it. Because there was nothing more confidence inducing as building strength. When you got stronger, everything just felt better. You felt great. You know, that's where I think, uh, you know, some companies have done a great job of marketing that and focusing on strength and making strength kind of the keystone to their training. But if you don't move well, if you're not incorporating condition, if you're not working different ranges of motion, then all you're doing is creating this potential for you know repetitive use injuries. If you're just doing the same thing over and over with the sole intention of getting stronger. So that's where I love with the kettlebell and going back to like what I like to showcase and what I like to teach is how can we incorporate these, this tool in a number of different ways? So intensity isn't just in chasing reps, chasing you know, numbers, but it's not just in how can I work as fluidly as possible and feel as good as possible. It's like, let's kind of blend those two so we can get stronger, but we can move really well and we're staying injury-free and we're able to do this for as long as possible. I want to do this from now until the 
you know, the day I die, minus the stupid 200 pound belt. <laughs> so in your courses, are you, are you teaching, you know, some more dynamic movements with lateral movements, rotational movements, as opposed to mm-hmm. just keeping it to the, uh, you know, the, the basic swing, basic. clean snatch, get up. So it's so important to, to go through those. And, you know, my training started with the fundamentals, just as anybody who is a, you know, even a kettlebell sport athlete, they started with the fundamentals. They learned how to swing and clean and snatch the bell. So I definitely have those fundamentals in there. And then just how can we kind of sprinkle in some rotation? I think rotation is one of those things where it's like all or nothing. My sport doesn't necessarily, uh, doesn't require it. Like if I'm doing CrossFit, like can't quantify that. Or if I'm doing powerlifting or anything else, you rarely see people adding in rotation. And then in the kettlebell world, for whatever reason, even though this tool is so perfect for transitioning between movement patterns, transitioning from positions, from levels, I mean, it's literally designed, it has a handle for that reason. And we're just like, I guess I'll just swing you. So there's so many things you can do with this. So that's why with my course, even in the fundamentals, I start to incorporate rotation. And then in my advanced course, I go well into rotation and then I dabble into flow. And flow Mm. to me is one of the main things that is sets the kettlebell apart. Like if I'm just going to, you know, curl and deadlift and, you know, press the bell, I might as well just do that with dumbbells and maybe incorporate kettlebells here and there. But with the kettlebell, it's designed to be transferred from hand to hand. It's designed to be, uh, to be swung, to be moved ballistically. You know, with the anatomy of the bell, just with that compact weight at the end of the bell, so you have that handle, it's literally designed to be able to be swung between the legs. You know, you take a 70 pound kettlebell compared to a 70 pound dumbbell, you're not going to be able to do nearly as many things as dynamically and definitely not for as long. You might be able to do a few dead uh, dumbbell snatches, but with the kettlebell, I'll be able to do dumbbell snatches into cleans and the lunges. I can incorporate in complexes. I can add in some rotational work. I can add in some hand-to-hand transitions, work unilaterally. I can go back to you know two hands. There's so many things you can do with it. That's why I love incorporating some variation of flow. And also difference between using a kettlebell bottoms up versus bottom down as far as really working on grip strength also, right? I, I mean, bottoms up, I literally just did a live today and did bottoms up marches. Bottoms up makes its way into my workouts every single week and into my clients. And when I first started with kettlebells, I'm like, oh, okay, this is just like, this is an intensifier. All right, this feels easy. Now let's make it harder. But then I realized this was such a fantastic teaching tool from a pressing standpoint, because it's now setting my shoulder into the proper position. Now I'm not shrugging while I'm pressing. I can't get my forearm outside of a vertical alignment. So when I press, I'm going to be able to integrate my lats and my upper back better versus just trying to press whatever weight I have and using a lot of lateral flexion as I'm doing it. Like it just is a great way to increase the overall tension of the stabilizers of the shoulder tension through your hand, increase the radiation. So it's a fantastic teaching tool. And then to incorporate it for something a little bit more dynamic, like walks or uh, walks at different levels where you got bottoms up on one side, overhead on the other side, or hang on the other side. So there's so many different ways that we can incorporate what would just be kind of, all right, rack walks, let's go. And if yeah. you're not understanding, bottoms up just means the kettlebell is literally upside down. Yeah. If, only, if only there was a kettlebell in here, I could show that. <laughs> a quick demo there. Yeah, I found that bottoms up kettlebells is a great way to teach or you know figure out your bent press too. Yeah, totally. Because it teaches you how to sit into that lat. It really helps to press the scap. So you really engage all, again, your upper back. So everything just gets nice and tight. So then once you're in that position, now it's super easy to rotate if you're going to do bent presses or even just press and learn how to not press from your front delt. Where you think like, oh, I'm pressing. I'm just pressing from my, you know, my anterior delt. It's like, no, you want to incorporate all that musculature behind, which you would 
it's an antagonistic muscle. I mean, you don't think it's working because it's technically relaxing, but if you use that as support, which you will learn with that bottoms up position, it just gets you so much stronger. And it also helps you engage more musculature. So you feel like you're getting more work done with lighter weights. Now to the average person, I think they, they kind of think that kettlebells are like a new thing to the industry, huh? Even though it has a deep, deep history. I mean, they've been around, I, as far as we know, hundreds of years all through Russia. From what I understand, I heard it was a way to measure weights or measure things, measure grains, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So they use it on farms. And that was kind of the, the way that we can be like, okay, this is, uh, that was three, that was three pood. That was uh, 17 pood or whatever. They but then at some point, I'm not quite sure when they got into, you know, I'm very interested to find out what that in-between step, step is from they're out there on the frozen tundra to their, you know, all the old school strong men and women of the 17 and 1800s that like in between, I want to know the first person that was like drunk enough to be like, <laughs> I dare you build that overhead. And like, oh, Vlad, I, uh, all right. And he picks it up and he like breaks his arm. And then the next guy tries, like, I want that history. I want that section. right there. well, There's so much from the Eastern Bloc countries that we just haven't been exposed to still just from a historical standpoint. I mean, people, there are some really strong people that people, well, it was, everything was kept under wraps. They didn't want to yeah, share it. Yeah, but really. I mean, it's, it's just some, it's the stuff that's coming out now that we're getting exposed to. I was showing him a video of uh, this old performer named Valentine de cool. I don't know if you've seen him before Oh yeah, where he's juggling 80 kilo kettlebells, you know, throwing them up in the air and then putting a cannonball on his up back. In the air, catching it. it was just insane. So you're allowed to do that if you're wearing a unitard. You can really do whatever you want. Every now and then you'll see somebody comment this because social media has got lots of opinions. But you'll see somebody, you know, commenting somebody on somebody doing flips or someone doing, you know, different kind of, uh, you know, kind of flows with a kettlebell. And even if they're not that heavy, you think like, all right, this is going to feel significantly heavy. This is going to be far more challenging than just curling this belt. I'm not saying curling is wrong. I'm not just saying there's a, a difference here. So if I start utilizing momentum, if I start bringing a 24K, a 53-pound bell from overhead and let it drop, now just through gravity, just through that acceleration, that mass is going to feel significantly heavier. Mm-hmm. Now I combine that with decelerating the weight and not just dropping it like I would with a barbell. So now my body is having to decelerate that load and then re- you know, rebound right up into a snatch or into a swing or to whatever. So this weight is going to feel significantly heavier multiple times. Now combine that with the hand-eye coordination of flipping it, of doing something else. You know, there's so much more to it that is so much more challenging than it looks. And then for anything, we have to look at risk reward ratio. You know, people will look at me flipping and they'll be like, that's stupid. I'm like, for you, if you've never, if you still call it a cattle ball, then yeah, but I have thousands and thousands and thousands of reps, you know, under my belt. So this is easy. I can literally do this with my eyes closed. But for the average person, even if we just start incorporating some basic kettlebell work, start incorporating some speed, start incorporating some rotation, it's going to be so far out of the realm of what they're used to, they're going to get so some, such significant benefits just like right off the bat. We've talked about how there's so all these nuances. We know about the nuances on what it takes to move these objects. But to the untrained person, they're like, no, that's dangerous. <laughs> but it's, it's about no. And yes, to the average person, if you don't understand these nuances, it, it can be. But you have so much that you have to learn about how to manipulate these loads. And that's why those fundamentals are so crucial. And we want to make sure that we have those down. We have the basics down. I don't, you know, whether you have to do super high tension RKC style, or if you want to 
do something a little bit more fluid, but understanding the basics first and foremost, and then just understanding how to move your body through space. You know, most people don't even know how to do that, let alone swinging a weight or, you know, moving a weight all over the place. So that's why, you know, I always try to take it to as simple as possible. How can we move this weight with as little range of motion and we can just keep expanding it and then increase the speed as we go. So that way someone is very, very safely going to be able to pick up a kettlebell then be able to snatch it within a couple of weeks. Do you incorporate the kettlebells in your warm-up or is that warm-up a completely kettlebell-free type of thing? So my warm-ups will vary. I, I mean, I'm still old school. I loved Pavel's old you know, joint mobility uh, drills. I still incorporate those all the time. Neil, I know you know what I'm talking about with those. Yep. But with the kettlebell, the way I started incorporating that time my warm-up was as flow. So I would literally take an 8K, a 12K, something extremely light for me. And just go through as many different ranges as possible because it's not going to tax anything excessively. I can wake up 4.30 in the morning and I can grab an AK and start flowing with it and not hurt myself. So I love doing that because that just wakes up my nervous system in a very safe way. It wakes up my grip. It gets my heart rate up and it allows me to kind of see where there's some sticking points. So after I've done a few minutes of mobility, just you know, specific joints, I'll go into that kind of flow for a minute, two minutes, sometimes five minutes with a light bell. And that's perfect. And that, uh, for someone who's more technically sound with the kettlebell, totally recommend using flow in that regard. Because people will see flow and they're like, that's stupid. I'm never going to do this. I'm not going to light the kettlebell on fire and dance with it. I'm like, you don't have to. Use it as your warm-up. This could be your primer before your you know thousand snatches you're going to do. Yeah. So to, to get that active range of motion versus just a stationary static range of motion, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah, that's got way more carryover. All these connective tissues and different ranges of motion. So... And that's just fun. Then you can start incorporating that stuff later. And it's absolutely going to build the connective tissue that people don't realize that doing ballistic work, what it does, they just uh, see that they see ballistic work as, you know, okay, I got to do this in very, very short reps, like bios. Okay. Or I have to do this for lots and lots and lots and lots of reps. So I can, you know, build up my tolerance and burn a lot of body fat. It's like, well, okay, hold on a second. Let's, let's see what you're capable of. Let's see what your body can do. And then let's just kind of break it up or uh, you know, build up to it. So we're not just doing as much as humanly possible. I would assume you're recommending that you're programming loads as far as percentage wise, the same with someone would with a barbell or dumbbells. No, I don't really do that because I, you know, I've gone through programs where I've created much more set percentages that I would want them to use with uh, a weight and be like, okay, you have to be able to do this number of reps with this number and this number of sets. But I, I started to kind of gear into more intuitive style where we can have, you know, light, medium, heavy, but we're focusing more on what your body is capable of that day because we're so, we lock ourselves into, and I'm definitely not knocking on having a program, obviously have a plan, have a program, but I feel like we have so much abundance of structure, but not enough chaos, not enough flow. So with my programs, it's always going to like, I'll go through different ranges, different rep ranges. I love incorporating low, low reps. I love incorporating high, high reps. So I definitely stay away from percentages just because so many people get locked into that. Like, okay, I have to hit this percentage, even if I feel like crap and I slept like crap and I drank a ton. And the next day it's like, I got to hit this number of reps with 85%. It's like, in the long run, is that going to benefit you? I'm not training power lifters. I'm not training Olympic athletes. Do you need to focus so much on the minutia of those rep speeds versus can we get stronger? Can we get, can we move better? How can we progress without necessarily just going heavier? How did you have better fluidity in that movement? How did that movement feel compared to the last few times you've done it? How did that weight feel with that same number of reps? Did it feel significantly easier? Whatever it is, 
I want to look at a number of other variables versus just do this for this many reps every single week and then you know build up, build up, build up, deload, build up, build up, deload. It's like eh, that's that's not how I train. That's not how most people enjoy training. So how can I kind of create a balance of those? And that would institute more of an overall body awareness for the user then, and get them him or her to understand themselves a little bit more or a little bit better. That's- so. I, I love the concept of be your own mad scientist. Like you are constantly experimenting. You could take the best plan, literally custom built for you. And mm-hmm. that person is not doing it for you. So you are the one in the gym, you're in the lab doing the, you know, the experiments every single day. So you have to create as much awareness as possible to how you're feeling, to how uh, exercises stimulate different muscles for you, how different rep ranges work for you. Do you enjoy higher rep work? Do you enjoy lower rep? When do your, when does your body feel the best? Now, I love having these different programs and it's important to have these programs because then you have this something to work off of, but people take too much power out of their own hands and give it to, you know, a, a random person, including me online. It's like, no, 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 I should just like guide you. You are the mm-hmm. one that has to actually go through this and make sure that this is exactly the plan that you need. That's tough though for a lot of people. Uh, they want to be spoon fed everything. I, the amount of times people say, well, just tell me what weight you want me to use. And I'm like, bro, I don't even like you're a comment <laughs> on Instagram. How the heck am I supposed to know that? Even with like custom training, there's still this level of how can I get somebody to kind of learn how things, their body, how things feel. And from there, then we can go into more and more fun stuff. So we see um, see a barbell behind you and some dumbbells on the ground. I know. How often are you using those? Are they just a complement to what you do with the kettlebells? So so we're going outside. We're closer to the Wi-Fi and okay. having a little, you know, make it a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, so actually, I use barbell training quite a bit. I use dumbbell oh. training a lot. You know, because I have kettlebell exercises on on Instagram, people automatically assume, oh, you just do kettlebells. Yeah. Like that's all you do. And I'm like, okay, so here's the deal. Anybody that gets so caught up and just, this is the only tool, just run away from that person. That person is not, <laughs> I mean, run away from me. With that said, uh, I use the barbells probably twice a week. I use my dumbbells all the time. I, my first love is dumbbells. I absolutely love dumbbells. I should have started dumbbell exercises because those are so, I, I just always have loved dumbbell training. I've always just gravitated towards it. From the ballistic standpoint, if I was doing, you know, cleans and snatches, or if I was just doing like traditional bodybuilding type stuff, always love dumbbells. Well, because it gives that unilateral ability. And that's a big thing is because we all, most people have one side that's a little more deficient than the other. Absolutely. And we, you know, and that's the thing that we get so locked into barbells as like, this is the way you get stronger. You know, the strongest shall survive. I can only use barbells. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. That's just one way to do things. Uh, and like you said, there's so much imbalance, so many imbalances on people that we would probably be a lot better to incorporate more unilateral work to weed out those weaknesses. So we're not just adding insult to injury by putting more weight on the bar just because, you know, I want to look cool. And because that's a big thing, because ultimately long-term, you're going to take four or five steps backwards, ultimately, instead of progressing forward like, you, like you're trying to aim for. Oh, totally. I, and I think about when I used to do that. When I was young and dumb, and I would just try to pick up weight off the bar, pick up weight off the ground as many times I could, as heavy as I could. Like, oh, I got to get my deadlift up. I got to get my deadlift up. And then all of a sudden, something wouldn't feel right. I'm like, wait, what, what's going on? Had I just taken a step back, incorporated some more unilateral work, been smarter with my rep ranges back when I was 18, uh, I wouldn't have those setbacks where I would take, like I said, three steps forward, five steps back. It's like, 
the gym is riddled with people who are either taking zero steps or taking three steps forward, four steps back. I think that's one of the beauties of kettlebell work is you're doing, you know, you're able to kind of balance out both sides or you're able to see the deficiencies of one arm coordination, strength, speed, you know, whatever you're looking for. Oh, totally. I mean, even just taking something as simple as an overhead walk or a racked walk, you can start to see imbalances through their gait. You can see imbalances in their hips and their shoulders, everything. And now we're doing it in very, very safe context. So now we can build up on that or we can say, okay, you're going to need more mobility on this side. So let's focus on mobility on the side. Then we'll focus on strength. Then we'll focus on you know all the other stuff. But rather than just kind of a one size fits all, all right, pick up a bar. And I know it sounds like I'm bagging on bars. I actually, I love bars. Yeah. I'm absolutely love bars. Yeah, I think that's, we're not bagging on anything. We're just saying there's other more than one option, right? And I think you're, it's like you said, I think people just want to take that one little snippet and say that's what they believe in. And you're like, no, that's, there's in the whole context of things, it's another tool, but there are always other options to choose. It's always so funny to me in the fitness world how people want to conform into this thing and then at the same time not be told what to do. Like, but then why are you a <laughs> barbell guy? Why are you only using a barbell all the time? But then you're like, you you think you're like being a novel or doing something now. You're doing the same thing. Like now you're just the kettlebell guy. You're just as bad as the kettlebell guy that you're making fun of because you are locked into the way you see things. I mean, the amount that people don't know, all, all of us, myself included, well, we don't know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And people pretend like they know everything and they like, oh, I read an article about this. So now I'm an expert or I, you know, I went through this course and now I'm an expert. It's like, no, no, no. I'm more interested in the person that uses all the tools, but is also very, very strong with just a couple. I kind of, it's, it's hard because in the fitness world, we want to toggle between master of all trades. And that's the thing. It's like, you can't really do that. So how can I be a jack of all trades, but be a master of a few and enjoy that process? And not belittle somebody else's. Like, I look at someone powerlifting, I'm like, I'm not going to ever do that, but I have mad respect. I look at kettlebell sport, mad respect for the work that went into that. Mm-hmm. Even something that's not necessarily that efficient, if that's what somebody is going to enjoy and they're going to stick with, they're going to do, and it's giving them the physical benefit and then the emotional benefit. You know, we, we overlook that aspect of training is the emotional quadrant there in terms of, am I enjoying this workout? Just because a German volume training program, it might yield the best results. Doesn't mean like I'm going to love it and it doesn't mean I'm going to stick with it. Whereas someone might love that and just totally gravitate towards doing hundreds of reps of the same movement. And awesome. If that's what works for you, awesome. So I always tell people, stop looking for the best answer. Start just experimenting. This is where you're like, I found a training journal from like 20, 2005. And it was like, oh my gosh, I was weak as shit, but it was really fun to look through it and see all the different things I was doing. Uh, I think what I love about kettlebells too is it's a great tool for cardiovascular conditioning. As much as I bag on people saying it's just for cardio, because that is also what people say, like, oh, kettlebells are just for cardio. And then, you know, you look at certain people on social media that are literally cleaning a 200 pound bell. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's just cardio. But because of, like I said, the anatomy of that bell, because of that ability to kind of flow between positions, it lends itself fantastically for doing high reps, ballistic exercises, for doing complexes, for doing flows. Uh, you, you can do so much that is going to keep that heart rate elevated for much longer than if I was just doing you know, a few sets of dumbbells. And because you have that position, I can get the bell into rack position. That's going to be more comfortable than having a dumbbell in that rack position, but it's going to be, uh, I'll 
even if I don't put it down, even if I just rest, that's still getting my, keep my heart rate up versus having to put the weight down. So it is awesome for conditioning. I mean, I definitely can't argue that. I think what the one thing that I think is awesome also about kettlebells is when you learn how to actually dynamically, ballistically throw that much weight around, you're going to be one strong son of a bitch. That was my favorite testimonial from, cause I, I trained a handful of fighters ranging from a couple of UFC guys to uh, a lot of grapplers. Um, I had a really high, high level wrestling school here with Eric Paulson, CSW, and I had some incredible athletes coming out of there. And as soon as they started incorporating, and these were all strong dudes, like they were not weak at all. But as soon as we started incorporating even light kettlebells, a couple of guys would just be using 35 pound bells. And these were dudes who were, you know, 180, 200 pound guys. But just from using the 135 pound bells and getting stronger through those ballistic exercises, doing the bottoms up walks, doing snatches, and then getting comfortable in uncomfortable positions. So doing things like bent presses, like windmill, things that would challenge their range of motion under load, challenge their positions. So that way now they felt so much more confident in their workouts. So it wasn't just a matter of, okay, you built strength. You also built more range of motion, more, you know, just the ability to move better. Combine that with strength in these positions where most people are weak. Now you're going to feel significantly stronger. And even the strongest athlete doesn't realize how little they actually use their trunk, how little they use their glutes, how little they use their, their, you know, their core, not just their, you know, their six pack. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they start incorporating that and mastering that through high repetition swings and snatches, now we're also mastering that blend, that marriage of fluidity and tension, which is every single fighter. I mean, you have to constantly go between toggle between tense, fluid, tense, fluid. You can't just be high tension the whole time and you can't just be fluid. So being able to go back and forth so seamlessly made them stronger at the right time. Yeah. And they know how to initiate it at the right time, right? It's being able to access it when they need it. Yes, totally. And it's it's interesting because you always get that, like you said, with the athletes, they're like, oh, I'm sore in areas that I haven't experienced that before. I always love that. It's like, oh, it's a place I've never experienced. Some people I'm like, yo, that's your glutes. Like, how are you never, have you never been sore in the glutes? <laughs> Like, oh, my hamstrings are sore. I'm like, well, okay, that means you never do anything. But for you know the athletes, all of a sudden they're like, oh, my adductors are sore. Like, and then we didn't do a bunch of side lunges. So like, why is that? Like, okay, well now we're incorporating swings. You're incorporating, you know, speed. You're incorporating tension through different areas at different times than you've ever done before. So now you're going to engage musculature you've never engaged at different times. So and also just through your their backs, realizing how weak people's backs are. That was a big eye-opener with kettlebells because so mm. many people was like, okay, they had strong biceps, strong shoulders, strong legs, whatever, but their backs were so weak. Even people who deadlifted, if we were doing a bunch of you know swings, it, it was mm. interesting to see people who were strong with the deadlift, but weak with a certain number of swings because it wasn't necessarily about strength. It was just about muscular endurance. Mm. So if they became more and had better endurance through those muscles, they were you know able to access that more during those strength sessions. And it just kind of blends between the two. So that's where I went away from purely strength, 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 strength. Okay. Well, how can we incorporate other things so we can get, make a more well-rounded athlete? Yeah. And that'll transfer, that'll transition and transfer way better to the field of play. I think that's a huge aspect that people are kind of overlooking. Does your training actually transfer onto the field of play or does it stay in the gym? It's interesting that there was a, a big 
kind of push when it was like, oh, there is no such thing as sports specific training. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of sports specific coaches that would argue that. When I had a couple of fighters who were doing, like I asked them what their plan was, they were doing like a legit bodybuilding workout. I'm like, what are you doing? Like they were doing chest day, bicep day, back day. Like this was their athletic training. And I'm like, why are you doing this? And that was all they knew. And because they wanted to look good. And I'm like, guys, come on. And these were fairly high level athletes. That was, was so wild to me. So your course, as far as the kettlebells, is that a one day or two day is? So I have a couple of different versions. I have a one day fundamentals course, and that is where we go over the fundamentals. We start to incorporate, you know, a couple of things rotationally, we start to incorporate a little bit of flow. And then I have a two day course where it's the advanced course. And that's where we take some of the principles of fundamentals. Cause I still want to have those in there. I don't want to just go straight and like, all right, this is all kettlebell fire dancing. It's like, we still have to take those fundamentals and then we build on that into advanced stuff, into flow, into free flow, into you know different rotational exercises. So those are the two live virtual courses that we're doing right now on Zoom. And then I have my courses that are just on um, you know pre-recorded, so that way people can go through those. And it's such a blast to see people you know go through the course. We do our test out where I have a call with them and seeing them move before versus after. And just from these modules that we've put together. So that can be done at any pace. So if you're just like, you know what? I'm not that serious where I want to go through a course where someone's going to like fix my thing right away. I just want to go through it at my own pace. That's where I would recommend people go through pre-recorded courses because then you'll still get the test out. So people will make sure that you're still moving properly. And you said this is a one-day event? Yeah. So I have fundamentals one one day. Yeah. And then the advanced one is a two-day. Okay. Oh, nice. And so everything's online now. Everything's online, which I can't really argue with how awesome it is to be. I'm not going to lie. I love, like, there are a few things I love more than being in a room with two people, a dozen people, 75 people. Like, right before COVID hit, we were working with Anytime Fitness. And the first workshop I did with them, Aaron and I were there, and it was 45 people in the room. The second one, a week or two weeks later, it was like 72 people. And the amount of energy and just like, oh, it was so much fun. I love it. I love that feel. But... There is also something to be able to be home while <laughs> still connected <laughs> yeah. and uh, not have to deal with airports, which have always been just absolutely disgusting. I just uh, the fact that people haven't gotten COVID for the last 10 years from these airports. It's just... I have to admit, it's been nice not having the travel demands. So it's been one of the nice positives. So I can't... Yeah, uh, it's just, well, there's people, you know, what I love about it is I've had people in every one of these workshops obviously all over the States, but I've had people from India. I've had people from Germany. I've had people from Mexico, had people from the Netherlands, people from all over the place that even if they had the resources, most people don't have the time to be able to come across the world and be able to learn with you. Mm. There's the, you know, there's the few that would, but for the most part, that doesn't happen. Now we've just created a whole new door, which we've already had the internet, but now we've created a whole new door for people to be able to explore so many styles. And I always recommend, you know, obviously I'm going to be biased and say, yes, go through my course, but Mm -hmm. I want people to try different courses, even of the same tool, because I want you to see the overlaps. I want you to see where it can best suit you. And I want you to use a system that works for you. I'm giving you a framework that has worked for myself, that has worked for clients, that is something based off of in-gym training, but I want you to be able to create something based on what you're experiencing. So now with with the advent of the live Zooms, now I can take courses from all over the place or just even so many people having courses online. Now I can take so many courses. 
it's it's freaking awesome. I love it. So do you think uh, going forward here, you're just going to keep it to this style or are you, you going to bring back some of the live in-person workshops? I'll for sure bring back live in-person. I, like I said, I love those. The engagement you get, those ahas you get, like they're just, I mean, we've all been in those live courses where it's like, oh man, it changed the trajectory of my training career, let alone what I learned in that course right then. Um, so we would definitely bring them back, but it just wouldn't be as prevalent as this because now we have the ability to reach out to so many people. It's just, it, it's so much more user effective. Obviously it's cost effective for that person. Now they don't have to worry about travel. They don't have to worry about taking five days off if they're coming for a weekend. Yeah. course. You got any up and coming events or anything that we, uh, you'd like to let the listeners know about or something to jump on or. So I have uh, the next live virtual fundamentals is going to be on February 27th. And that is going to be, uh, so it's a six hour course. So it's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific time. And that one we have right now where you'll be able to go through that course. You'll also get access to the pre-recorded course. So you can kind of take it and continue on with it. And then we record these and then you get access to them as well. So not for an additional price. So once we, you go through the course, you have it all there, we'll record that and you will get access to that too. And then from there, we just have, I mean, I love putting out content. Aaron and I are putting out new workouts all the time. Love incorporating kettlebells and bow ropes. We're incorporating yeah. other tools as well. So that, all this content and from the courses to the workouts to the plans, it's all available on living.fit. Nice. Okay. Right. And where can uh, people follow you on social media? On social, kettlebell exercises, one word. On Instagram, that's the, the best place to reach where I spend most of my time. And then from there, you can find, like I said, all the content on living.fit. And then all of our, like the products and everything we do is through Kettlebell Kings. Awesome. Awesome. And I know we reached out to Aaron. I want to get him on to talk about battle ropes because I think battle ropes are a really misunderstood tool. I say this all the time. I, the first time that I heard Aaron was going to be coming on as a coach in a different organization, I thought, what the hell is the point of having a battle rope course? Like, this is the dumbest thing. You just, you do some, ju- I've literally told that so many times. I only use it as a finisher. I would use it for like, oh, I want to do a slow-mo video for social media. And that was it. And then going through Aaron's course, because he's not just a library of battle rope exercises. Like the way he incorporates metabolic pathways, the way that he incorporates the rope from static to explosive and everything in between. I mean, I never realized how amazingly versatile that tool was and how just amazing it was for all athletes. So like I would have, you know, my, my high level athletes, I would have my 70 year old ladies doing battle ropes and it was the safest possible tool I could use. Kettlebells, you can absolutely hurt yourself with. Dumbbells, 100%. Barbells, 100%. I have yet to see anybody hurt themselves with battle ropes. And if I do one day, I will... Just I'll, I'll probably make fun of that person because there's literally no way you can do it <laughs> unless you like you know trip on the rope and you know hit your head. That's how that's how you'd hurt yourself with that ropes. Nice. Well, thank you for coming on, brother. It's uh, yeah, always good to chat with you, man. And we'll have you on again sometime down the road, and we'll chat some more about kettlebells and uh, give the listeners some great information on that. So thank you very much again. And to all the listeners out there, thank you for joining us. And until next episode. Be good to each other.